0: Well, it's so good to be here with y'all. My name is Wilson Van Hooser. I am the uh, campus minister at Oklahoma State University. Uh, what, what, what is, uh, uh, I'm the RUF campus minister at uh, Oklahoma State. Uh-huh. We have many campus ministers at Oklahoma State. Um, no, So what, what is RUF? RUF is actually, uh, I'll put it this way, it's, it's as if The Presbytery of uh, of Hills and Plains, which is made up of Oklahoma and a little bit of Arkansas and a little bit of uh, West Tennessee, it's as if they hire me to say, we want you to go and minister to those students on campus. And so a lot of what Casey was talking about earlier of the Westminster Confession being our our confession of faith that we use, we're essentially taking uh, those truths to those students where they are in all their different circumstances. And uh, I actually just finished up my first semester this past spring, so uh, talk about a transition amidst COVID. Uh, but it was great. We 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 really did enjoy it, um, and uh, we we just have such a great group of students who were so welcoming to us, and uh, they they've they've loved us so well. Matter of fact, one of the one of kind of crazy things that's happened this summer. Uh, two weeks ago, I was preaching at Redeemer in Edmond, and I, I was preaching with a walker, and I had to sit on a stool. Because earlier this summer, I got diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, And uh, it's actually pretty incredible that I'm even just standing even two weeks from that. Uh, So I, I might get a little tired, so forgive me for that. But here's one of the things of, like, here's how this showed our students' love for us. They've known us for six months. We had to go to the ER three different times. We're in and out of the doctor's office all the time. We have two crazy dogs, and we have a, a, a 19-month-old son. And uh, our students were dying, like double-booking themselves to, like, uh, babysit, house-sit, dog-sit. I mean, they were doing, they were almost beating us to the punch of, like, being able to ask them. And they were just wanting to love us and be like, what can we do to help? And they would bring us meals, and they would, you know, they, they would play with our dogs, take them on walks and all that. And all I'm saying is this. The Lord's at work up there. And if those students in six months can come to know us so well, where they're like, let us do anything we can to love y'all during the situation, that's incredible. And that's showing that the gospel's at work. So that's who I am. I can tell you more. And, uh, but let's, let's look at God's word in Luke 7, 36 to 50. Um, this is an incredible text. There, there, there are a few visions of Jesus here that get more rich than this, than this. It, it, there is so much here that if I have one goal for you is that you would leave here saying this: Jesus is amazing. That the the Bible is not boring. I know sometimes we can read it, and you know the the previous reader was a great reader. I loved it, but I know sometimes I did I did youth ministry a year ago, and my students would be like, you know, forgive us our sins, yeah. You know, The Bible's amazing, and I hope you'll see it this morning. So with that in mind, let me pray, and we'll look at God's Word. Our Holy Father, we are asking mighty things from you this morning. We're not asking just normal requests. We're we're asking that you, the transcendent one, would visit us lowly people. That, that you would show us your Son in all of his beauty, and all of his majesty, and all of his glory, in his gentleness and in his compassion, that as we sinners approach the Holy One, that we might find forgiveness, that we might find love. The Holy Spirit, would you help us, help us to listen, help, help the evil one not to snatch up those seeds of the Word that are planted this morning, but... But help us to take it in and to bear the fruit of the gospel. So we ask that you would help us. Help us in the hearing of your word. That you would bring sinners to conversion and repentance. and Further looking like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. There was uh, a time when I was in college and uh, I had... I had lived a wild life my first year and a half in college. I grew up in the PCA church, and so I had a lot of things that were on my conscience that were telling me that I needed to make my life right. I went to school at Tulane down in New Orleans, and so you can only imagine what that scene must have been like. And I remember coming back one time in the summer, and I was dealing with a lot of the things that I had lived through, and I just wanted to talk with anyone who would just help me know what to do with this. And unfortunately, I didn't reach out to my own youth pastor. I, for whatever reason, I decided to reach out to another youth pastor in the area. And so I went to talk with him. And you know how these conversations go. You meet with someone. And you have something in the back of your mind that you know you have to talk about. But you're just kind of taking your time to see when eventually it will come out. So finally I get to the point I tell him. And it's something that I hadn't told anyone up, at, up until that moment, but it was just burning my heart. And I knew I felt so dirty when I told him my sins, my many sins that I had participated in. Here's how he responded. He said, you did what? No lie, he then proceeded to leave me in the parking lot with that that sentence resonating in me, and maybe you've been there. Maybe you've had those moments when you've talked to another Christian, or you've, or unfortunately, may, may, maybe one of us have done that to you, where we've ta- where you've talked to us and we've say you did what, and that's it. But let me tell you something: Jesus is not like that. For all of our failures, Jesus is not like that. I remember another very shameful moment in my life, and I was wrestling even with, wrestling with the things that I had done in college, and it just seemed like it was weighing on me, but then I came to something different from that previous encounter, and I came across a song, maybe you've heard it, by Matt Boswell and Matt Papa called, His Mercy is More. And the refrain of that song is this, and I think that they're not only taking it from one of John Newton's letters, but I think they're also taking it from this, and the refrain over and over is this, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. And brothers and sisters, that is the point of this text. Your sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Let's look at it. Look at verse 36. This is, this is amazing. We're going to break this down into different scenes and watch how it unfolds. Look at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold. Now, now whenever it says behold, don't just read over that really quickly in your Bible. That, that word is there for a particular reason. Literally to say, stop what you are doing and look. Because something surprising is about to happen. That's what that means. And what, What's about to happen? Well, here it is. A woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Let me give you a little bit of a context. This will be a little bit helpful. Uh, Pharisees were a, it was a a Jewish sect, a, a group of people who wanted to really make sure they got the Jewish people right. They wanted to make sure that, that they weren't going to be worldly. They weren't going to look like the rest of the Roman Empire around them. So they're going to set up all these other laws, all these other rules, on top of what God had given them to make sure they could fix people. Does that make sense? There's also something else that's really helpful here too. When Jesus goes to this, maybe it's a dinner party, maybe it's a lunch party, I don't know. But when he goes to eat dinner or eat lunch, meals were an extreme sign of fellowship. And so you got to keep that in mind too. And one of the things that would happen in these meals, and this is just their particular culture, it's not saying anything, but what they would do is that they would have the men eat in one room and the women would eat in another room. And you would not cross. So keep that in mind. Now, there's something else going on, too. They did not wear Nike shoes back then, right? They didn't wear, like, closed-toed shoes. Matter of fact, uh, we, we learned in Luke 15 that one of the things in their culture is that actually only people who had a lot of money or who were a part of a rich family would even have shoes, and the shoes that they would wear would be open-toed shoes. And their roads were not like nice paved roads, And they did not have cars back then. I don't know if you knew that. They didn't have cars back then, but they would travel, well, by animals. Animals leave things on the ground. You see what I'm saying here. The roads were nasty. Therefore, their feet would be nasty. And we see in the reading of the text that one of the things that we see is that the Pharisee did not give Jesus any water for his feet to wash his feet when he came into the door. Very important. Okay? Now, why does that matter? Let me show you. The Pharisee asked Jesus to eat with him. And I love it. Look at this next next part in verse 36. And he went. I want you guys to see this. Jesus never denies an invitation. Even if it's a Pharisee. Jesus never denies an invitation. So he goes... And he reclines at table now, give you another helpful context, you know, whenever we go to dinner, we, 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 what do we have? We have chairs and we sit at a table and our feet are underneath us, right? Well, how they would eat, may, maybe you've heard this, when they would eat, they would lean in and their feet would be behind them and they would lean in with one elbow on the table and they would eat with the other hand. So their feet would be, would be going out away from the table, okay? So he reclines at table, and behold, a woman of the city. Now most likely, we're not for sure, but most likely, a woman of the city is a prostitute. I want you to think about that. Why would Luke, knowing that this woman is most likely a prostitute, she's obviously a sinner, she's a woman of the city, that's his whole point. Why would he also have to add the fact that, who was a sinner, everyone knows she's a sinner, everyone here, all the audience, all he would have to say is that she's a woman of the city, and that's it, we would know she's a sinner, here's the point, most likely this woman is this, that when people in that town, maybe the parents would ask their kids, saying, what is sin, and the kids would most likely say, that woman's a sinner. She would most likely be the first person that would come to mind when they think about who a sinner is. She is renowned for her sin. And she runs into the Pharisee's house. Now I want you to remember what I said about the Pharisees and remember thinking about this woman. Remember, what, what were Pharisees trying to do? They were trying to make sure they could fix the people by their many rules. This woman... Everything about her made them look at her and say that their efforts were not good. That she was disrupting the system. She was destroying families. She was doing this and that. That was was destroying their good works. And therefore God was just bound to be wrathful towards them again. That's what's going on here. But yet... This woman, when she goes and she goes to see Jesus at the Pharisee's house, I want you to ask this question. Why would she not just wait? Why would she not, if she really needed to talk to Jesus so bad, why would she not just wait until he left? It must be something like this. She must know her sin is so bad that she must get to a Savior now. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. That you're dying to hear of something of salvation, something of forgiveness, something of cleansing, because of something that is just burdening your conscience right now. And let me tell you something. If that's you, it is good that you are here. She runs to Jesus. And look at verse uh, Verse 38. She stands behind him at his feet. Keep that picture in mind. She's standing behind him at his feet and she's weeping. Now this word for weeping actually describes, it's also the word used for rain showers. In other words, this is not what's happening. That she's working really hard to feel really bad about her sin and she can muster up a tear or two. This is someone who who knows her sin so much that it is a rain shower upon Jesus' feet. When I was at school at Tulane in New Orleans, one of the, time, one of the things that would happen often in the summer is that we would have these random pop-up showers. But sometimes what would happen these pop-up showers, it would rain so hard so quick that it would flood the roads because New Orleans is a little bit below sea level. And so I think that's one of the things that, like... It's one of the pictures we have here is that we're, we're not talking about someone who's barely crying. We're talking about someone who knows their sin and they are weeping. And they're continuously weeping. Now, look at what she does. She begins to wet his what? His feet with her tears. Those nasty, smelly, mud-caked, maybe feces-caked feet. She does this. Look at verse 38. And she wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet. Back then, women would wear their hair up in a bun and There was a rule in what's called the Mishnah, which was the oral law of the Pharisees. There was a rule, there was a law that if any woman let her hair down in the streets, then it would be a reason to divorce your wife. Now, why is that a big deal? You would only let your hair down in the most intimate of settings between a husband and a wife. For her to let her hair down in this whole room to wipe Jesus' feet, she is literally being as vulnerable as she can with him. That's what she's doing. She's not, she's not coming to Jesus and, and giving him, you know, you give him a little piece of something, but you really have this, this heap of other things back here, and you want to say, like, let me see what you do with this first. She is bringing the whole mountain of her sin. She's bringing everything about her lets her hair down, and she starts cleaning his feet, and then she kisses his feet. Now look, even parents, like, you know, you're probably not going to want to kiss your kids' feet. I mean, let, let, let alone feet that's been like, you know, running around, you know, outside, like, give your kids an hour to run around in the grass down there and then think like what would it be like to kiss their feet after that this woman is totally broken she's leaning in towards Jesus kissing his feet weeping she even has ointment and she starts anointing his feet and I want you to see this here That's a lot of context and that's a lot of just painting the picture. But it's really important. Because here's the thing that's going on. This woman must be starting to understand something. And here's what she's starting to understand. That her sins, they are many. But His mercy is more. And if you have one thing, even just from this first section here, it's this. You can come to Jesus... As you are. And matter of fact, you must come to Jesus as you are. Stop trying to clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. Come to him as you are. Because this is what you'll have. Well, let's keep going. Look at, look at what's next. Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of a woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You know, it's interesting when he says, "If this man were a prophet," actually, look uh, look up a little bit in your Bible in chapter seven, verses eleven through seventeen. You'll see this section where Jesus goes and he raises uh, a widow's only son who was dead. A widow's, a widow's only son had died, and Jesus goes and he raises the son to life, and you'll actually see at the very end of that section where they say in verse 16, they say, a great prophet has arisen among us. And so hearing the rumors about this, maybe they were there, maybe they just heard the rumors, we don't know, but hearing something, this Pharisee seeing if Jesus were really a prophet, and he would, he would know who this woman is, Because even just the kids in our street who don't know anything about it, they know she's a sinner. You see what he's saying, right? Jesus does not see her the way I see her. And isn't that what we often do with each other? We often look at each other and we say, well, I really know him the way he is. I know what he's done. I know his past. You didn't know him when I knew him when he was growing up. And maybe, maybe those people, maybe they walk through these doors. Maybe they stand up here and and preach and sing and pray and read. and, And you say, why should they be up there? Why should they be in here? I know what they've done. I know what they're struggling with. What we're often saying is, I see more clearly than God sees them. He's doubting Jesus. He's saying essentially to himself, he is letting her touch him. She, another thing, she would be considered unclean. And here is Jesus who is supposed to be a prophet and the Holy One and all-consuming fire. The one who Isaiah saw on the throne when he said, when he was hearing the, the angels say, Holy, holy, holy. Here he is in the flesh. And he's letting her touch him. He's not doing anything about it. You see, one of the things that the Pharisee, what well, he does not understand. He does not understand that though our sins are many, Mercy is more. Let's look at the next scene. Look at verses 40 to 43. Jesus leans in and, and he sees that even though Simon is having suspicions about Jesus and about his grace, the Holy Spirit reveals it to him and he, he leans in in verse 40 and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And he tells him this parable. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. We um, put it to you this way. 500 denarii would be the equivalent of like $175,000. Uh, it, 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 it would be a massive year's salary versus a day's salary. That's the 500 denarii versus the 50. But look at verse 42. When they could not pay, notice that both of them could not pay. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I love this response, the one, I suppose. What do do you mean you suppose? Of course, of course is the answer. For whom he canceled the larger debt. And I love Jesus' response to him. You've judged rightly. What's happening here? Jesus is telling this parable in such a way that he can show Simon the way he is actually thinking. Instead of Jesus just immediately coming out and saying, Simon, you're wrong. He actually tells him a parable from his own standpoint. So that he can see that he's not thinking about things rightly. But here's the thing. Even though this woman might be the 500 denarii sinner... They both could not pay. Do you see that? Look at that. Look at, look at, look, at verse, look at verse 42. When they could not pay. Not just the 500 denarii sinner. When they both could not pay. Here's the point. There might be a more gruesome sinner out there than you. There might be someone who is maybe further off than you. But here's the thing. Both of you cannot pay. Both of you stand before God. And you are both debtors. And you are both sinners. And you cannot pay it back you actually know what one of the biggest problems for us today is? We love to say, well, I'm merely the 50 denarii sinner. My sin is this. My sin is manageable. I have it under control. I can dabble with it a little bit, but all I have to do is just go out and have a good enough streak of not sinning again, and then I'll be fine. Or, or we do this. My sin isn't that bad, and as long as I just go to church church enough and partake in the sacraments or be a part of this community group or whatever it is, that will outweigh my bad deeds. We often think our sin is manageable. And it's very easy for us to look at other people when we say, I know what they really struggle with. And we love to say, they're the 500 denarii sinner. Jesus is exposing this thinking in Simon and actually it's because Simon thinks that his sin is manageable that it's hardening his heart even more. Did y'all hear that? When you think that your sin is manageable, you harden your heart even more. Because if you think your sin is manageable, then you're going to say, I can manage it. And once I manage it, then I will come to Jesus Rather than when you know you cannot pay, and you know it is overwhelming, you are doing anything it takes to get help. Jesus, when Simon answers it correctly, he just says, you have judged rightly. Whew! How about that for like a dagger to the conscience? You're right. Steve jobs whenever he was really sick his biographer talks about how whenever he was really sick he had been offered certain treatment and offered certain medicine but because of his uh just thinking because of his opinions he, he refused that certain treatment and that medicine for long enough because he wanted to try this other way and as his sickness got worse it actually got to the point where when he wanted to actually go back and try the doctor's recommended treatment, it was actually too far, too gone. You see, one of the things that we need to realize is this. Ignoring our sin is the worst thing we can do. Ignoring your sin, downplaying your sin, watering down your sin is one of the worst things that you can do because when you do that, you will not run to a Savior. The first duty of the Christian is to embrace God's grace. Did y'all hear that? The first duty of the Christian, the first act of obedience, the, the first step of repentance is to look at God's grace and say, that is true, and it's true for me. Matter of fact, it's this. I love what one, one writer, a guy named Heath Lambert says. He says, the more you believe in God's forgiving grace, the more you will experience his transforming grace. So maybe you're struggling with something right now. Maybe you're struggling with a certain desire. You're struggling with a certain act. You're struggling with you know, bitterness or anger or lust or gossip or, or self-harm or whatever it is. And you're, and you're trying to figure out how can I change Brothers and sisters, what you need to know most in the depth of your sin is that there is forgiveness in Jesus. When we trust and embrace and grasp that forgiveness, as the parable says, we will love Him more. That's how you grow in holiness. See, Jesus is saying, the parable is teaching that the more we know that our sins are many and his mercy is more, the more we begin to grow. But he keeps going. I mean, isn't this amazing? This text is amazing. Look, look, at, look at it. He keeps going. Verse 44, then turning toward the woman, think about that. He's been, he's been leaning in on the table. His feet are behind him. His woman has been weeping and crying and wiping his feet this whole time. He's been talking with Simon, and now he turns and faces the woman. Isn't that amazing? You ever seen, maybe, maybe, a, maybe it's live on TV, or maybe you've seen a TV show or a movie or something like that, but someone who is in power, they're oftentimes walking from one place to another, and people come up to them, and they're asking them questions, and they're asking them requests and things like that. And they might walk by, and they'll say, yeah, 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 go and do it. But they just keep walking, and they barely even look at the person. People who are in such high authority don't have to spend much time looking at the lowliest people of their society. They can just make it happen like that. But my friends, Jesus Christ is in the highest place of authority imaginable. And He does not just say, let's just toss Casey some forgiveness. It'll be fine. Let me just get on to the you know, what we like, the, the real important people, Right? Jesus' look comes to you. He faces you. He takes notice of you. He doesn't just quickly bypass you. He turns toward the woman, and and I love this. He asks Simon, this is such a funny question. Do you see this woman? Look, I don't know about y'all, but if I'm in this dinner party, this is the only thing that I'm seeing right now. Like, this is the the most obvious thing in the world right now. It's probably like, hush. And everyone's staring and like maybe nudging nudging their buddy next to him and be like, do you see what's happening? This is the most obvious thing in the world for them right now. What do you mean, do we see this woman? But Jesus is getting at something. Simon, you may be looking at her, but you don't see her. Guys, don't we do this? We often love to look at someone as if they're just a project for us to fix, and we don't look at them. One of the things I tell my college students is this. If you see someone, you know, maybe they're an RUF, maybe they're not, you you see someone and they're just getting plastered on the weekends. And you might want to look at them and say, they have a drinking problem. We need to get them fixed. But you know what? Maybe you actually need to take time to think about why are they drinking so much. Maybe there's actually something going on deeper in their heart that they're just wanting to mask over or cover it over or fill the void because maybe they're really dealing with someone. something, And you need to get to the heart. You need to take time and look at him. that's what we need to do more of rather than being, than being so quick just to say here's the right answer apply it take these two pills a day and you'll be fine See, the gospel is different from our microwave culture do you see this woman now look at this contrast Jesus says I, when I entered your house You gave me no water for my feet, which would be a huge offense. It would be really rude back then. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now watch this. Look at verse 45. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. It would be a cultural custom when you come in. You've you've seen it before. You, you You lean in one cheek and you kiss. You lean in the other cheek and you kiss. None of that. It was a sign of fellowship, but there was none of that from Simon. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, another cultural custom, and something that would be special for, for someone who would be a prophet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Do you see the big contrast here? Here is the Pharisee who knew the Scriptures more than anyone else around him, but he could not see Jesus clearly. But this woman, even though she might be the 500 denary debtor, she sees him. You see, Jesus is saying, once again, our sins, they are many. But God's mercy is more. And when we get that, we will be able to see things clearly. But it keeps going. This is the best part. Look at 47 to 50. Man, this is, this, is, this, is, this is an amazing section of Scripture right here. Therefore I tell you. Now one of the things that when you read the prophets in the Old Testament, they will often say, thus says the Lord. But this is the Lord. The Lord does not need to say, thus says the Lord. All He needs to do is speak. I tell you with with all of my sovereign authority, as I sit in the highest place of authority, I tell you, it's amazing what he's about to say, I tell you her sins which are small. Isn't that right? Isn't that what it says? Look at it. Her sins which are manageable. Her sins which are not that bad. her sins which are many. Notice that Jesus never ignores sin. Jesus never downplays sin. Jesus never waters down sin. He sees it as clearly as it can be seen because He is the Holy One. He sees her sins more clearly than she sees them. And guys, Jesus sees your sin more clearly than you see it. Matter of fact, you've only had a portion of your sin even revealed to you. Our sins are many. Brothers and sisters, when we downplay our sin, we will downplay God's grace. When you have a small view of sin, you will inevitably have a small view of forgiveness. You will have a small view of grace. You will think that Jesus is just a sidekick. Rather than a savior, you know when you—I don't—I don't—I don't know if you guys know this or not, but you know when you walk outside, hopefully it won't be too too overcast. But you know if you look up in the sky, there's just this giant, big, burning ball of fire. I don't know if y'all have y'all seen that before. Um, it's pretty big. Uh, what is it like? Ninety something million miles away or something like that. You know it's large. It gives us life. It is literally one of the most obvious things in our five senses every single day that we exist because that thing exists. Um, you know, I maybe maybe uh, maybe you're like me and you go outside sometimes and you you tend to ignore that big burning blazing ball in the sky and you don't put on sunscreen. And you come back in and it feels terrible. That is your sin. Before Almighty God, that is your sin that is so massive, that is so burning with, with, with evil and the, the depravity of our heart, that is your and my sin. And you can't ignore it. You can't downplay it. It is there. And no matter how much time you want to pass by or no matter how much you try to cover it up or not tell people or run away from it, it is there. The sun is huge. But let me ask you something. Have we ever been able to measure outer space? Have we ever been able to even just get to another galaxy or solar system or y'all y'all just correct me on this, you know. Forgive me. You know what I'm saying? Have we ever been able to measure outer space? No. Your sin is like the sun and it is many, but God's grace is like outer space. It massively consumes it. That's what Romans 5.20 says when, when it says, where sin abounded, grace superabounded. Guys, here, here's what's amazing. If you come to Jesus, you will see that though your sin is like that blazing ball in the sky, his grace is so much more. His forgiveness is so much more. And when he says her sins, which are many, he says all of those sins are forgiven. It means they're gone from her record. They are literally divorced from her. They are no longer held against her. Jesus, notice this. Jesus does not say this to her. Go back and fix your past. Go back and turn over every stone in your past until you make sure you get it right and then come to me. He does not say this. Go back and find everyone who you've sinned against and make amends with them and then come to me. To be sure, yes, we absolutely confess and repent, but we, don't, we can't have this mindset of I have to go and do all this first until he embraces me. There's a one of the men who fought in uh, the Battle of Fallujah, which was a very uh, was a very intense battle during the Iraq War. There's a guy named Sergeant Bellavia, and you can read about his memoir in the book House to House. And there was a really interesting scene that he paints where there's one time the team oh, the team chaplain, excuse me, the the, the chaplain uh, at their base approaches him. And he said, Sergeant Bellavia, can I pray for you? And here's what Sergeant Bellavia said, what was going on in his mind uh, during that. He, had talked, he had said, I've done so many atrocities. I've done all these things and I've seen these, people, I've seen these people die. I've killed these people. I've done all this. There's no way God can embrace me. Jesus is defeating that argument. let me tell you, from the Word of God to you, I do not care what you have done. I, I do not care what you struggle with. As if that is something that will keep you from Jesus. With everything that you are, with everything that you struggle with, come to Jesus, there is forgiveness. Jesus, as Satan loves to tempt us, he loves to say something like, Jesus can forgive many sins, but not this one. What, 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 is, what is your this one? What is that one sin, as Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, that just plagues you? Jesus can forgive all these other sins, but I don't know about this one. But you need to bring that one to him because he will deal with you compassionately. He goes on, look at this. He says to her a second time, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Don't we often need to hear this more than once? He says to her, your sins are forgiven. Then in verse 49, then those who were at the table, they began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? It's a rhetorical question. It is the Lord in the flesh. And then he goes on, look at verse 50, and then he he says to the woman again, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's the Old Testament equivalent of shalom. Guys, when you come to Jesus, embrace that forgiveness, and when you do, go in peace. Not trying to beat yourself up enough and say, I have to get my life together. When you embrace that forgiveness, you don't just learn new facts about Jesus. You are transformed. Lean into his grace. Lean into his mercy. It's when we realize that our sins, they are many, and his mercy is more, that we not only love Jesus more, but we can go in. There's a missionary who was going to go treat people who were Uh, had the illness of HIV and AIDS and this missionary was also a nurse and they were going to be drawing a lot of blood and so they were told one of the warnings was you need to be really careful with these needles because obviously if your blood comes in contact with their blood then you'll get it. Everything was fine for first couple of days and as they were drawing blood they were making sure they were really careful but then finally one of the times after this missionary had drawn blood they had come in contact and cut them but their own self and it had come in contact with their blood. And so the question is this was it worth it? And this person said of course it was worth it because those people were, in, were confronted with Jesus. Worth it to approach unclean, horrible sinners because they get Jesus. And that's ultimately what, ultimately what He do, does for us. Was it worth it for Him to go to the cross? Was it worth it for Him to be pierced for our transgressions? Yes, it was worth it. Because you, O oh people of King's Cross, you receive the forgiveness of God. I don't know where you are right now, I don't know what you're struggling with. but The only thing you need to do from this is come to Jesus. Pray to him. Ask for forgiveness. He will hear you. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would graciously just come near to us, graciously hear us. Help us know the great grace that is in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.